if you have ever watched a great movie, a lot of times the final words that a person says are the most dramatic and awesome words. And whenever I say that, I think of the ending scene of Armageddon that I won't relay to you because I haven't sermons before. But, but it's, there's something powerful when somebody says something profound, important at the end of their lives. And in fact, we feel a need to record those words, to pay more attention to those words. I actually Googled uh, famous last words, and, and some of them were just almost, almost tear-jerking words because uh, they were inspiring or they were uplifting or people expressing things to their spouses about their love for them that touched some emotional heartstring. And, uh, and, and the same words would have been, you know, less important if they weren't at the end. And so we know, we know this, that the last words are important, especially if a person knows they're going to be their last words, because they try to say what is the most important thing to them, the thing that they want you to remember about their life. And Jesus' last words are important. And here's what he says. This is the end of his life on earth. He's going up to heaven. Acts 1, 8, and 9. You just read them if you were paying attention to the video. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. Now the book of Acts, which continues after this story... Uh, many have called the story of the early church or the first disciples, uh, but some people have more aptly noted that the, the story of, of Acts is really the story of the Holy Spirit's movement to kind of kickstart the church to get it going. And, and it is amazing that these men who are listening to this, 11 disciples, maybe a handful more, uh, they followed Jesus' last words so intensely that we sit here today because they chose to be witnesses to Jesus. When you read the book of Acts, these men, these women that loved Jesus, that followed Jesus, they just poured into this very thing. They ran around the countryside saying, we'd like to tell you about Jesus. Now, let me remind you uh, what they knew, what was important to them, what they were testifying to, what they were witnesses of, and that is uh, they saw Jesus be arrested for no reason. They saw Jesus be tortured for no reason. They saw Jesus be killed for no reason, and then he died. They were very, very sad. They were distraught. They thought they were going to be arrested and killed. They were worried. They were stressed out. They were huddling in a room, scared, and then after three days, they saw Jesus come back to life. And Jesus explained some things to them about why he had to die and why he rose again and, and what it meant for their lives, and they just knew that when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, that there was no greater cause than that, than to tell other people that Jesus had died and risen again and he had done it so that they could be forgiven for their sins and have eternal life, that Jesus was both Lord and Savior. He was the Messiah that the Jewish people had looked for for hundreds and thousands of years. They knew that there was no greater purpose in life than telling others those things. Now, if you believed what they believe, if you do believe what they believe, then, then you probably feel the same. 
There is no greater purpose in life. There is no greater thing that you can do than to tell other people this good news of Jesus, if you believe it. If you have felt the forgiveness that Jesus brings, if you've experienced the love that he brings, if you've experienced the peace that he brings, if you've experienced the hope that he brings, then you already know, it's just a starting point for all Christians, that there is nothing greater that you could do in this world than to tell other people about it. We just finished a series a couple of weeks ago about living beautifully, and all of us who are Christians know that there is no more beautiful thing that we could do than to say to somebody else, hey, here's the thing, Jesus died for your sins, so you could be forgiven for your sins, so you could stop feeling the guilt that you feel, so that you could actually have peace that you've been looking for, and he rose again so that you might live forever, forever and ever. That's a beautiful thing. Now, some see this progression in this thing that Jesus says, that he says, you know, you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem and then Samaria and then the ends of the earth. And uh, whether that was Jesus' intent or not, it's, it's an interesting idea that, that we have been called to witness to those right next to us. And we have been called to witness to those that are kind of uh, around us, you know, in our state or in our nation. And we have been called in some ways to witness everywhere. But we struggle to even start. We struggle to tell our very best friends uh, about Jesus. We struggle to be witnesses to those who are even the closest to us, who we can say really anything to, who we can open up our souls to. We still uh, are scared and struggle to, to tell them about Jesus. And it's this weird dichotomy because we know if we're Christians that there is no more beautiful thing than we, that we can do than to be a witness to Jesus. But it's also, for most of us, the most difficult thing to do maybe in the world. I preached a series uh, not too long ago where, where we talked about how we can begin to participate in the Great Commission. That is a word used for Jesus declaring to his disciples, you, will, uh, you, will, you should make disciples of all the nations and you should baptize them. You should tell them to obey me. And, and we had this whole series where we talked about how it, it is something that we can actually be a part of and it's not as scary as we think that it might be. And, and the thing for me is, I told you this, that it is much easier for me to get on this stage and proclaim the gospel than it is to sit at a coffee shop and tell people, hey, Jesus loves you and he died for you and he rose again. It's much easier to do it from up here. But that series was impactful for me. And, and in the series, let me just give you a quick rundown for those of you who weren't here. We saw that we should be committed to the Great Commission. That means we should just say, I want to tell people about Jesus. I, I want to be a part of making disciples. We saw that we should remember that the gospel story, the story of Jesus is good news. And oftentimes because of the the culture of church in American history or because of our society, we almost look at the story of Jesus as bad news. It's like, oh man, I gotta tell people they're sinners. But when you read the story of the Bible, they, they just start with like good things, like, hey, great news. Jesus died and rose again for you. It's great news. And we saw that, that if we're gonna be a part of that great commission, then we need to try to uh, season our conversations with 
salt and grace, that we should try to have conversations that are not just about the weather, but they should actually matter and be important. We should ask people about their hopes and their dreams and their fears and their failures. And we should take conversations to a deeper level than just how did the Blazers do. And we saw that we should be ready to explain how our story and the story of Jesus connect, where they intersect. Now, here's two things happened for me in that series. I didn't get all four of those. Wish I did. Wish I was running around doing all those things all the time, but I didn't. But as I preached the series, two things happened to me. First, I have started to look for opportunities in conversations to take the conversation deeper. And I've been pretty good about this. Somebody says something that they're sad about, I don't go, ooh, uncomfortable. Let's talk about something else. I go, okay, I'll engage that. I'll talk about that. We'll see where it leads. And then the other thing is that I stopped or I've tried to stop talking about the weather with people. I have this voice in my head now whenever I'm talking to somebody who doesn't know Jesus and it just says, don't mention the weather. Don't mention the weather. Don't mention the weather. Don't mention the weather. Just say anything else because we have a tendency to go, hey, it's been sunny. Kind of a mild summer, hasn't it been? You know, I mean, that's what we talk about. And so I have this new profound voice in my head that says, don't talk about the weather. Look for something deeper. Now, these are good starting points for me. And I've actually grown and I think uh, I've had better conversations and uh, I've taken conversations deeper quickly, uh, conversations deeper quickly. -er, and I have discovered that people um, uh, have, have been fine with engaging in deeper ways than, than I would have expected. But I didn't feel as I finished the series that I, or our church for that matter, was where it should be when it comes to making disciples, to being the witnesses that Jesus has called us to be, to being anything like uh, the first disciples who knew that there was no greater story that they could tell people than the story of Jesus and went at it diligently and in the power of the Holy Spirit. This afternoon, uh, as was mentioned earlier, we have our annual meeting. And at that annual meeting, we set the agenda and the budget and the vision for the year. And this year, the vision, because we label our years, uh, is going to be speak up. And I think that we have become a great church, and we'll talk about this later, a church that cares about each other, a church that is united, that doesn't have any infighting, a church that loves people outside of our building, that engages missions, supports missions, that reaches out to our community, that is slowly becoming an integral part of our community where they would go, wait, I don't want those guys to leave if we ever left town for whatever reason, but they, they like to have us here. I mean, there's a ton of great stuff happening at our church. But because of the nature of the people in our church, we don't do a very good job of speaking up and being witnesses of Jesus. And so I thought as we kind of kick off our fiscal year uh, that it was important for us to engage the Bible about what it means to be a witness. And here's the great news. I think that if you're a Christian, you want to tell people about Jesus, I don't think that you lack a heart. I know the people in our church. I don't think we lack a heart to tell people about Jesus. I think we are one of two, we, we fall into one of two categories. One, we're scared to talk to people about Jesus. Or two, 
we don't really know how to talk to people about Jesus. I mean, even if you're stopped, you've stopped talking about the weather and you're looking to take conversations deeper, it's like, this doesn't seem to be enough. Are there other steps that I can take? And, uh, and I think one of the problems is when we think about being witnesses, we think of just a couple of things. Uh, one, we think of people on the streets preaching, and we go, I don't want to be that guy. I told you when we did that series called Proclaim that I saw a guy in Las Vegas standing. There's an outside restaurant, and he was standing outside the restaurant with a microphone and a portable sound system, and he was telling everybody about how they were going to hell. And I just looked, and, I, and they were throwing stuff at him, and honestly... This is terrible to say out loud, but I wasn't sure if I was on the food thrower's side or his side. You know, I was kind of mixed on the whole issue. It didn't seem like the time. It didn't seem like the place. It didn't seem like it was effective. It didn't seem like it was working. It didn't seem like he really cared about any of the people. It seemed like he cared about himself and making sure that he was kind of doing what made his conscience feel good, but he didn't care about the people eating at all. And so that's one of the things that we have in our head. Another thing that we kind of have in our head it's kind of like uh, this crazy idea that when I'm at a coffee shop, if I'm going to be a witness, I just have to walk up to some guy that I've never met before and be like, Jesus loves you, man. And they're going to look at me like I'm weird and then I'm going to walk out and everything's going to be awkward and I won't be able to have coffee there anymore and it'll just be crazy. And we kind of picture that. Or there's this other idea that kind of sprung up in the 90s called friendship evangelism. And so we have this idea that, well, if I'm just a friend to people, then that's good enough. And, and it never works. You know, you're like, oh, I've been friends with this person for 30 years and they've never asked me about Jesus. And so this isn't working either. And so I think we have these failed ideas kind of that culture has given to us that worked in certain eras of American history and they don't work now because culture has shifted and all that stuff and we go, I don't know how to do it. Here's the great news. When we open the rest of the book of Acts after Jesus' final words, we see that these disciples who were witnesses of Jesus' death and resurrection use a variety of techniques to be witnesses. They don't fall into a single category. They do things in a myriad of ways and, and they have a different approaches to different people. And I think this is what we'll see as we kind of launch this year and we spend the rest of the summer talking about being witnesses. You'll find that some of the things that the disciples did in the early church will actually come natural to you. Like they won't be that difficult for you. And you'll find that there are a variety of ways that you can witness that may help in certain situations. And I think that you'll discover that perhaps there is not one cookie cutter way to tell people about Jesus. There's a whole bunch of ways that you might need to use and, and put into certain situations to tell other people about Jesus. And so this is what we're going to do for the next several weeks is we're going to look at how they witnessed in the book of Acts. We are going to look at how the early disciples followed the last words of Jesus, put into practice the last words of Jesus, and engaged a culture that didn't like Jesus at all. In fact, was very against Jesus, and they decided that they would, in the power of the Holy Spirit, tell them about Jesus anyway, and the entire world was changed because of it. You got up this morning early to come here because these men and women decided that they would be witnesses, and they would do things the way that the Holy Spirit wanted them to. 
to do things. And so we're going to pick up the story in the next chapter of Acts. We'll pick up in chapter 2, and it's an incredible story. Uh, we'll, we'll start at verse 14, but let me just fill you in on kind of what happens in the first 13 verses of the book of Acts, uh, at chapter 2, and back into chapter 1. Jesus leaves. We read that. He goes up. He's in a cloud. You can picture that moment. It's got to be weird. All of a sudden, Jesus is gone, and the disciples are like you and I when it comes to being witnesses, like, hmm, what do we do now? Good idea, Jesus, but now you're gone. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. We believe that God uh, is in three forms, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that, that we don't talk about very much, but we believe that he comes into every Christian's lives and uh, life, and he, he equips them, and he helps them, and he, he causes them, uh, leads them to encouragement and, uh, and convicts them when they're sinning and all these things. And the Holy Spirit, for the first time in Christian history, descends upon on the disciples and weird stuff starts happening. They start to speak and every person around them hears them in their own language. There was a festival going on and the people from all over, Jews from all over the Roman area had traveled to Jerusalem and they all spoke different languages and things like that. And, and all of a sudden they hear the same guy speaking all of their languages. That's a pretty crazy thing, right? And, and so I don't know what kind of party they were having because they walk up and they don't go, hey, this is a movement of God. They say like, are you guys drunk? That's what they say. Like, it's weird. We're hearing you in our language, but you have to be drunk or something because it sounds kind of babblish and it's weird that we're understanding you. Are you drunk? And, and Peter responds to the opportunity. And he simply, and this is the first thing we're gonna see, and this is the tactic that we talked about uh, couple of months ago, he just proclaims the truth. And I think that sometimes we just need to proclaim the truth. Listen to starting in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, there's several things that I want to point out just about these verses right here. And I think it's a beginning point for how we must proclaim the truth of Jesus sometimes. First of all, this is the same Peter who just weeks before had denied knowing Jesus altogether. He had looked at people that he was scared of and said, I have no idea who that Jesus guy is. I've never followed him. I don't love him. I don't care about him. I'm not from his group of friends. I don't know him. Now, now he stands up with an opportunity. I think it's funny. He raises his voice and he addresses the crowd and he's about to just launch into this proclamation of truth that isn't sugar-coated, it isn't wishy-washy, it is straightforward and straight to the point. Now, this tells me a couple of things. First, the Holy Spirit plays a vital role in our witnessing. If you are trying to witness in your own power, then you're going to be like Peter a few weeks before, stumbling and bumbling and trying to get out of the situation. You might start to talk about Jesus and you'll back out as soon as it gets a little scary, as soon as it gets a little weird. You must 
be in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to move in you if you are going to be a good witnesser. And we forget that, especially in kind of non-charismatic circles like our church comes out of. It's just like, well, if I say the right words, if I have the right apologetics, if I can explain the Christian faith well enough, then people will accept Jesus. Then I can be a good witness. But we see here right at the beginning that Peter goes from a bumbling, stumbling kind of idiot to a guy that proclaims the gospel as well as anybody ever has. And it all happens because the Holy Spirit comes upon him. You must invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of your witnessing if you are going to be good at it at all. Now, here's the other thing. I think a lot of you think that you need to like clean up your life for a long time in order to be a good witness, that you maybe even in your head, you're like, well, I've made these mistakes. I've done these wrong things. I haven't really been living for Jesus lately. And, and you think I can't be a witness because what did I do yesterday? Or I can't be a witness because I haven't been in church in long enough. I, haven't, I can't be a witness because I denied knowing Jesus with my life once or even with my words. And Peter is a great reminder that it doesn't matter what you did last week. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. All you have to do is repent, turn towards Jesus, say, Jesus, I'm going to do it the, the way you want me to do it, and you could be the world's best witness. I think that we almost, and I think this is, this is satanic almost, but we have a Christian culture that suggests like that we almost need to pay penance. Like if, if I do something wrong, then to really be a good kind of person for Jesus again, then there must be this waiting period and there must be this guilt period and, and I just, I need a little comeback time and then I can be a witness for Jesus. But Peter just goes from, especially if you read the biblical story, he goes from really bad to a great witness. It's just a matter of weeks for him. And so I want to tell you that maybe you came here this morning, you haven't been in church in a long time, maybe you came here and you've been sinning all week and, uh, and you, you know, all you got to do is repent and then you can be a great witness. You will never be perfect as a person, but you can always be a witness if you're trying to live for Jesus. Now, here's the second thing uh, that's really important is that Peter just declares, let me explain this to you. And let, what follows is a proclamation of truth, and we're gonna come back to this, uh, but it's not sensitive, it's not veiled, it's straightforward, it's right to the point. And you may have grown up or experienced kind of two sides of Christian culture, and they may lead you away from this proclamation thing. Uh, if you've grown up in certain Christian settings, then perhaps this is the only way you've ever seen the gospel shared. This is the only way you've seen Jesus testified to, is somebody just being kind of a jerk and saying, hey, repent now or go to hell, you know? And, and you've seen that, and so you've kind of rejected it. Now, in other Christian circles, you've never seen this at all. You've seen friendship evangelism. You've seen uh, what we have labeled seeker-sensitive movements, and it's all about being nice to people. And then, and then maybe because you've never seen it, then this seems foreign to you. And so some of you, you've just seen this used in a mean way, and some of you have never seen this used at all. But Peter just uses it in a godly way. He says, I need to be a witness to you. And he simply, just simply, proclaims the truth uh, of Jesus. 
And I think that you need to pay attention to this. We're going to look at some verses that will show this quite clearly. But you need to pay attention because there are times, not every time, notice, but there are times when the best way that you can be a witness to Jesus is just to be a witness to Jesus. You don't need to come up with the perfect anecdote. You don't need to come up with the perfect one-liner. You don't need to soften it. You just need to tell people the truth. I think that a lot of people who aren't Christians think that we're idiots because we try to explain Jesus to them in a way that is fake, that makes them feel good, and they can open a Bible. They probably know enough about Christianity to go, that's not what it says. That's not what it really is. You are lying to me in some ways. Sometimes we lie as Christians in order to what? Protect Jesus? To make Jesus look better? Like we hide, we veil, we, we sugarcoat the story. And, and sometimes that might be appropriate, but sometimes it's not. And people just need to hear the truth. Mark Driscoll was a pastor in Seattle until pretty recently, a very controversial figure. But one of the things he has always done really well, and he would say it like this, is, is he treats people like adults. And, and while he can sound like a jerk, he can come across like uh, an arrogant person that isn't very kind or caring, one of the things that he's done well that has made him successful, put that in quotes, in ministry is that he tells people the truth. He tells people the truth. He will look at his congregation and say, I don't want you to go to hell, and so you need Jesus. Plain and simply. Sometimes the most loving thing that we can do for people is not to be wishy-washy or sugar-coated in our presentation of Jesus just to tell them the truth. Now, the third thing that's important here is that Peter turns his attention to the Bible. And we, in our current culture, because culture has shifted away from having a biblical foundation, we forget the importance of proclaiming the Bible and using the Bible when we talk about Jesus. We oftentimes think that the greatest quote from a famous pastor is better than what the Bible itself actually says. And I think that we have neglected the importance of simply telling people what the Bible has to say about Jesus. Peter is going to go into an Old Testament verse and he's going to explain it to them. But it's important to his proclamation that it's included. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I'd ask this question. Do you know enough of the Bible to proclaim the truth of God? I think if you want to be a great witness, you could just go home and starting point, memorize a couple of important verses. Memorize Romans 10, 1 and 2. Memorize John 3, 16 if you've never memorized that. Memorize passages in Romans like Romans 3, 23. Uh, memorize some verses that proclaim the truth of Jesus in words that, sorry, but are going to be better than the words that you can come up with because they are the words of God and they penetrate the soul. I think we've neglected this because we go, they won't believe the Bible anyway. They might not believe the Bible, 
but they might believe the truth of the Bible if they hear it said from your mouth. And we need to get back to a point where we remember that sometimes we just need to proclaim scripture to people. We may not lead with that, but if there's a question about Jesus, we must include it in our presentation. Now, here he goes. Uh, Peter says a bunch of stuff, and he gets to Acts 2.21. He quotes the Bible, and then he gets to Acts 2.21, and then he just says outright, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter shares these verses, their prophecy, and then he says that, that what they're seeing is a fulfillment of that prophecy, and then he ends with this simple statement about what it means to follow Jesus, to be a Christian. Call on the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. Now, this is kind of rhetorical because I can guess the answer, but do you ever like begin your testimony to Jesus with something that straightforward and simple? And you say, no, that sounds crazy because that would, that would never come into play. That would never work in our society. And first, I want to say it would never work in their society if you're thinking logically. These people he's talking to, and we'll see this in a minute, have killed Jesus. Like literally they are behind the death of Jesus. Not in a metaphorical sense, not in like a spiritual sense. They are the ones, some of them, chanting crucify him as Jesus hangs on a cross. So now declaring believe in that guy and be saved is probably not gonna work if you're thinking logically. Here's the other thing. As I think about our world today and what's happening in our world, could, could you not envision a conversation like this? Think of shootings. We have one every week, it seems like. You're having a conversation at work. Somebody says, can you believe this happened again? Now, you could say no. You could talk about the weather. You know, I mean, you could, you could go down a whole bunch of different paths. But what if you just said, honestly, yeah, the Bible says things will always be bad and get worse at some point, thankfully. Everybody who loves Jesus will be saved, and that's why I'm happy to be a Christian. That scares you a little, doesn't it? Just a little, but it's not that bad. And I think it might be the right response. They asked a question, you gave an answer. Are you surprised? You could lie, you could sugarcoat. Yeah, I'm surprised, but no, you're not. If you're a Bible-believing person, you're not surprised. So just say no, I'm glad I'm a Christian. Easy answer. I think Peter knows that what these people needed to hear was a simple, straightforward presentation of truth, not some sugar-coated thing. He continues, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. <coughs> Excuse me. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, listen to this, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. This is one of the most straightforward statements in the Bible about what transpired in Jesus there isn't a lot of explanation. He explains a little bit more later, but he just looks at them and goes, you know about the miracles Jesus did, and you kill them anyway. But God raised him from the dead. I mean, just that language, I need, it just bears repeating. You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. He could have, he could have softened that, could he not have? Could he not have softened that a lot? Like, well, Jesus was killed for your sins. Jesus, you know, 
wanted you to have eternal life and so he allowed for himself to die at your hands. But he knew in that moment that they didn't need it to be softened. They needed it to be straightforward. And so he says, you put him to death. And Peter goes back to a quotation of scripture, one that the audience probably would have believed. He explains it to them. And then in Acts 2.36, he launches into this doozy. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Uh, this isn't, this isn't, Jesus wants to be your friend. Jesus is your homeboy. Jesus just wants you to be forgiven. Jesus died for your sins, even though that's true. This is your sin. Put him on a cross. Your sin, put him on a cross. And God raised him from the dead. And now he is both your savior and your Lord. He is the one that can save you and he is the one you must be obedient to. You need to pay attention to this if you're a Christian. And and non-Christians, you need to pay attention to this too. The only loving thing Peter could have done in this situation is to tell them the unveiled truth. If he would have lied in this moment, if he would have sugarcoated in this moment, he would have done a disservice to these people because these people needed to know so that they might have the forgiveness and the love and the hope and the joy that Peter had. This technique does not always need to be used, but sometimes it does if you really love people and you want to be witnesses to Jesus. I'll just ask, and I know the answer is yes. Let me tell you that ahead of time, but let me ask, is there a situation in which you need to be this straightforward? And the answer is yes. It's yes, it's yes, it's yes. Not every time. Not perhaps when you see somebody you don't know at Starbucks, but when your friend asks you a question, When he says, what's up? What's happening? How come you have joy that I don't have? How come you're not scared about everything that's happening in our country? What is it about you that's different? Perhaps then you need to be straightforward. Just say, look, I was a sinner. You're a sinner. Because of that, Jesus died, but he rose again. And if you declare him as Savior and Lord, you can have eternal life. Listen to what happens because of his straightforwardness. You think, well, they rejected it. They're mad at him. They stone him. They're angry. They're frustrated. They reject it. They walk away. They say, you must be drunk. Negative. None of those things. In Acts 2.37, it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Perhaps nobody's ever asked you what it means to be a Christian because you've never told somebody the truth before about what Jesus came to do. Maybe if you had the guts and the courage and you allowed for the power of the Holy Spirit to flow in you, maybe then somebody would say, what must I do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. He doesn't end with the bad news. He ends with the good news. You killed him, but if you will repent, if you will turn towards Jesus, then you will be saved. You will have forgiveness from your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will have eternal life. And this promise is for everybody.
And we see in this moment Peter's heart. He's not straightforward because he hates people. He's not straightforward because he feels like being a jerk. He's not straightforward because it relieves some bad part of his conscience like I think the guy yelling at people in Las Vegas was doing. He's straightforward because he loves these people and because he wants them to know the forgiveness that he has known. And boy, oh boy, did he know forgiveness. He had denied knowing Jesus just weeks earlier And when Jesus looked into his eyes, he wept and he wept and he wept and he wept because he was so hurt by his own actions. And when Jesus got out of the grave, he had forgiveness like he had never had before. And he wanted everybody to have the forgiveness that he had. And so he told them the truth. Man, if you've been forgiven by Jesus, you know what it's like. You know how it feels. You know how valuable it is for you. This week, you've probably done stupid stuff. And instead of just continuing to feel guilty about it, you you may have just maybe in the back of your mind gone, well, I'm forgiven. And you know how much peace that brings. All of us have things that we've done in our past that we regret, that we wish we could do again, that we know we messed up and we may have left a wake of pain and hurt and suffering behind us. And if we're Christians, we know the forgiveness. And if we truly want other people to know that forgiveness, then sometimes we must be willing to proclaim the truth in an unveiled way. Look, you're a sinner. You need a savior. Jesus died, he rose again to give you forgiveness. Turn towards him. Sometimes the best way to be a witness, not always, but sometimes the best way to be a witness is simply to proclaim the truth of what Jesus did when he came to earth. He died for our sins and he rose again so that we might have eternal life. That's what sometimes people need to hear. And we must have the courage to, in the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaim that truth when it is needed. That's our first step in being good witnesses, witnesses that will take not only the gospel, the story of Jesus to our neighbors and to our country, but all over this world. Uh, There is a world that needs to hear the truth of Jesus, and we must have the courage to proclaim it. Will you pray with me? Lord, I want to be a church that speaks up. I want to be a church that has courage. I want to be a church, Lord, that when it's necessary, proclaims your truth, even if it's offensive to people, even if it hurts feelings, even if it feels unnatural to us, God, I want to be a church that is willing when it is best to simply declare your truth. Lord, I pray for anybody in front of me that has not accepted the truth of the gospel Anybody online that has not accepted the truth of the gospel, Lord. And I pray that this morning they would hear what we have declared and they would choose to repent and turn to you, God. And I pray it, Lord, not so we can, I don't know, Lord, feel good about ourselves as a church or I can feel good about myself as a pastor, but because, God, I want every person on this planet to know the forgiveness and the love that I know. Uh, the forgiveness and the love that come from you. And so I pray that you would lead all people who don't know you to repentance. And then Lord, I pray for those of us who do know you. And I ask God 
that your Holy Spirit would flow through us and in us, that the power of your Spirit would descend upon us. And God, when we leave this place today, we would have clear eyes, God, clear souls about when the appropriate time is to proclaim your truth, and we'd have the guts to do it, Lord. All of us will leave here, we'll interact with people who don't know you, and I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know when we should just say, Jesus died, he rose again, and you need to give your life to him. Give us the wisdom, God. Lord, we love you. That's why we want to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, because we love you, and we love you because you first loved us, and we pray these things in your holy name. Amen.